Hey guys, I'm Joey, and welcome into the second episode of the MLS Bench Podcast. On the pod, we're going to be breaking down everything from an exciting week two of MLS action, and later on we have an interview with Matt Pollard from Last Word on Soccer to go in-depth on both the Rapids and the Galaxy following their wins this week. Before we jump in, I'm going to annoyingly ask you again to subscribe, rate, review, download, and recommend this podcast. We are grassroots, and we cannot grow without your help. So with that being said, let's get into the game reviews. And we'll start off with the game that uh, certainly featured the most uh, USMNT players of uh, the weekend. Uh, The Revs uh, taking on FC Dallas in New England. Um, I think that this game was... It was exciting from a USMNT point of view because you had just so, so many players. You had, for Dallas, uh, Pomichol, who... Again, we'll see where that goes, um, but you have Pomichol in the midfield, and then you have Areola and Ferreira up top. Ferreira, in particular, um, has shown maybe to be Greg's number one. Again, we'll see about that. But, you know, with just those front two, you can make a strong case for any USMNT fan to watch this game. On the New England side, you have guys like Dewan Jones at left back, obviously Josie Altidore off the bench, um... I believe that his national team career is probably over, but that's still up for uh, interpretation um, based off if you think Greg's going to call him in at any point between now and Qatar. I think, uh, just to quick dive into some USMNT talk, I think Qatar is probably the last point that Josie could hope hope for a call-up. I think if you're looking past 2022 for Josie, I think that's a little bit too far, especially since he's not starting for the Revs and hasn't played amazing when he's come on. And then, obviously, for the Revs, you have Legette in the midfield and um, probably the most hated player uh, in the pool, but he he's played well so far for the Revs this season. So, you know, just outlining, outlining all those players that um, uh, played in this game uh, that could potentially feature at some point in the future for the U.S. Uh, this was a game that it, it really should have been the Revs game, and I think for the most part it was. They controlled most of the game. Um, I think I was interested last week after seeing Dallas kind of cut up Toronto, um, in transition with pace, with, uh, dynamism, I think is how you say it, like dynamic. Um, but yeah, you saw Dallas kind of, even though they only got a goal and even though they tied last week in attack, they looked so dangerous. Uh, I was waiting to see how they would play against a more stable, uh, defense, a defense that's played together more because that Toronto defense was pretty new. This Revs defense, basically, it's basically the same defense that won uh, than the Supporter Shield last year. So I was interested to see how Dallas would play, and I thought um, that da- uh, Dallas was much more um, subdued uh, w- with the defense of the Revs. Um, just, just more organized, I think, from a Revs point of view compared to Toronto. And Ariola and Ferreira and Obreon were never really able to get out and running, and you know you know, carrying the ball straight down the gut of the D. Um, I think part of that has to do with good defensive midfield um, uh, play from Matt Polster for the Revs. But I think between the defense knowing each other better, knowing how to cover those spaces better, um, and a good, a, a better defensive midfield for uh, New England, it was 
it was a lot more controlled than last week, which I think if you're from a Dallas point of view, you're going to need a little bit more um, than just the odd counter versus some of these better teams, just because I don't think that front three is going to be as lethal as some front threes and fours. Like I'll talk about Austin in a, in their game in a little bit and the way they're so efficient. I don't think that efficiency is going to necessarily be Dallas's number one um, like ability up top. They're going to need a lot of those chances, carrying at defenders, getting support from the midfield then. And it just didn't happen enough in this game, which I wasn't surprised about. Um, but yeah, that's basically all there was for Dallas. Uh, as for New England, um, I love Brandon By. The fullbacks for New England are just so much fun to watch. Um, just getting up the flank, crossing in, getting back in defense, just running at uh, outside backs uh, and, and from the opposition. Just a lot more, a lot of fun to watch. Um, the refs don't inspire confidence when they're defending in and around their box. But in all fairness to them, like I said, that they cover their spaces well enough that nothing ever gets in behind. It just looks like they may never clear the ball, but. They found ways to in this game, uh, and a Carly Seal penalty um, made it 1-0 at the end of the first half. Uh, definitely deserved over the course of 90 minutes. I think the Revs were definitely the better team, and they get their first three points of the year on the board after tying last week in Portland. As for Dallas, still searching for their first win. Uh, it'll come soon enough. I don't think that uh, they're that bad of a team. I don't think they're a playoff team, but I think... Um, Versus some of the lower teams in the league, I think that they will start to um, start to grab goals offensively and defensively. I think it'll come together. Justin uh, Che being gone certainly hurts, but with that midfield hopefully healthy, Pomichol hopefully getting um, even more match fit, getting back in there, and again that good front three. I think that they can they can start to um, put some results together. Hopefully, uh, especially if you're a USMNT fan like me, you want those guys to be succeeding at the club level. Uh, but yeah, that's basically all I had for that game. So I'll move to Toronto and the Red Bulls. Uh, Aaron Long. Um, not the story of this game. The story of this game was certainly Lewis Morgan's hat trick. Uh, and fair play to him, the Scotsman, uh, coming in from Inter-Miami. Uh, I believe he scored in the first week. Um, and getting three in this game. Again, Toronto, very shaky in defense. Like I was saying with uh, when it comes to how they played versus Dallas last week. Very shaky. But... Uh, Again, all fairness to Morgan, uh, gets himself three goals, and uh, that's going to do, I mean, just so much to inspire confidence, uh, especially Inter-Miami was not inspiring much confidence in anybody last season, so for him to come in and have such a strong performance uh, in these early couple games for the uh, Red Bulls is going to be key uh, for them going forward, because last year, it was they were really a team that they were either beating you 1-0, or they were drawing you 0-0, or they were losing to you 1-0. Like, they were not going to grab goals. And they were so stout defensively last season, even without Aaron Long, um, that I thought that they were going to be a, a lot less fun than they've turned out to be. Three goals versus the Quakes, uh, four goals versus Toronto. And I don't think that this was a game that the Red Bulls controlled. They, they don't have, like, a... They're not going to pass around you in the midfield or anything. They're not going to be like a 2010 Barcelona where they're going to dominate possession in the midfield. Um, but in, in transition, they're strong. Uh, they took their chances extremely well going forward. And Aaron Long got himself a goal. Uh, I believe it was, it was off a corner, definitely off a set piece. Good header. Um, it was off a free kick, I believe. And 
for long, I, I've been on this train for a while. I think I mentioned it last week that he can contribute for the national team. I don't think that's because of, like, a lack of depth. I think that a healthy Aaron Long has shown that he can contribute, and not just in theory, he's done it on the pitch. I don't, this isn't a Greg thing. This is a, I honestly think that this guy's a very, very strong defender and could do a lot of things, particularly in a back three. Now, I'm not saying that the U.S. should go to a back three or anything. That's not the point. Um, certainly not the point of this pod. That's uh, for a lot deeper uh, discussion because I think that that's a very nuanced um, discussion to have, especially when you talk about uh, the wide players and the outside backs and all that. But I think back three or uh, back four, Aaron Long can contribute and he has done in the past, I think with the performances of Miles Robinson, of Walker Zimmerman, of Chris Richards, um, we'll see about John Brooks, during this qualifying campaign, um, it's it's left him in a hole to get back in that he certainly wasn't in when he first um, got injured uh, at the beginning of 2020, I think it was, or beginning of 2021, rather, sorry. Um, But he just such a dynamic defender he's great in the air awesome in the air and we saw that again in this game and i think to write him off is doing him a disservice and doing the team a disservice because if he's able to be healthy which again knee injuries are volatile and we'll see where that goes he can contribute in even if it's not starting he can he can provide depth at a position where the U.S. don't bring a lot of depth into camps normally, and if we can have solid, solid contributors that we can count on and that Gray counts on, I think that that's helping everyone out. And so to say, oh, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, yeah, we'll see, but I think to write him off or say make derisive comments toward what he could provide for the national team potentially is doing everyone a disservice. That's my little two cents on um, Aaron Long, and good for him. He got the goal, and Red Bulls, another solid, solid performance. They're top of the East, and they look scary um, between the defense and the efficiency up top. We'll see how uh, how well they're going to fare against teams that are better than the Quakes in Toronto. But last year, again, such a solid defense, even versus the better teams, and proving it again this season that they can with some attacking help can be a team that will challenge all the way uh to mls cup potentially um and so with that being said we'll move to philly and montreal um this one was taking place in montreal uh and my philly union got a 2-1 win we're on the uh on the board with three points finally um got the draw last week uh against minnesota and that was more cagey, and so was this one. This was a normal Union game. If you're gonna watch, if you watch this game and hadn't watched the Union in the past, I will just say straight up: this is how Philly are gonna win games. They're going to take their moments, have goals that aren't necessarily in the run of play, or like build up goals, like team movement goals. They're just gonna find balls in the box, put them in the back of the net, and walk out of there with a two-one win not have a lot of scary moments on either side of the ball, offensively or defensively, but they get it done. And in all fairness to them, uh, Montreal came out stronger than I thought. Last week looked poor, 
I thought, especially, especially um, defensively, 2-0, they lost to um, Orlando City. Uh, and with Kyoto being out, I was expecting a tame performance for them. And I'm not saying that they were providing a lot offensively, but they were certainly they certainly had a bit of life. And maybe it's just, you know, the home difference, which we know is the thing in MLS. But again, all fairness to them, they came out and they played pretty well, uh, got the goal in the first half. Um, a lucky deflection, but a g- good team movement up to that. Um, Matt Doyle pointed out on Twitter, stretching the union from side to side, which is the weakness um, in Philly's 4-4-2 diamond. But all, like, all in all, I thought... Um, this was the kind of game that Philly needed to have. If they were going to win this game. Uh, Mikel Ura, who I talked about last week, uh, the uh, DP striker, um, most expensive signing in club history, finally got on the pitch, had two chances that he could have scored both easily, and, and hopefully uh, a striker of his quality will start finishing those off as he gets more comfortable in the team. But, you know, adrenaline could have easily been a thing, and I'll I'll give him a pass for, you know, two early opportunities um, after coming on as a sub. Uh, I mean, not much to write home about in this game. Um, some good crosses on both sides. Nothing really sustained in attack. Um, not a ton of build-up from either team. Um, yeah, I wrote that uh, Georgie, extremely scary. I think he can provide uh, a difference for the national team, particularly in that kind of, you know, he's not going to fit in the Greg system the best as that kind of half-space merchant, probably. I think he's definitely more of a 10, sit behind a striker and just kind of roam and create stuff. Um, league assist leader last season, that's what he does best. So I don't think he's, his role in the national team will be most suited to his skill set necessarily, but he's still a very strong player, and I think um, he may start getting looks as we get closer to Qatar just based off the fact that he'll be in season. And even though I don't believe... He's gotten him. Yeah, I don't think he's gotten himself a goal. Certainly not a goal, and I don't think he's gotten himself an assist so far this season uh, in league play. He still looks extremely, extremely good on the ball, um, and just a very dangerous player um, for defenses to deal with. Joaquin Torres for uh, Montreal, just a very fun player on the ball. Um, I don't think he's he's not going to be the difference maker in their attack this season. I don't think, but just yeah, just a very fun player on the ball, taking people off the dribble, super quick. Um, just a lot of fun with him and Georgie maybe starting to create stuff for Kyoto when he gets back from that red card suspension. And uh, we'll see where th- that attack goes um, for them. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs either. Uh, but if they're able to, I wouldn't be surprised just because that defense, Alistair Johnson, Kamal Miller, and company, um, obviously uh, rock solid with the Canadian national team. And then up top with Georgie, Kyoto. Uh, Joaquin Torres, who I, again, thought looked extremely lively in this game. Um, I picked him out specifically uh, as being a a focal point in the game for Montreal. All good players, um, but it wasn't enough. And Philly and, you know, getting those moments and winning the moment battles, which that's kind of what Philly does. You know, they're not going to dominate you, but they're going to win the moments um, and just two clean finishes in the box uh kind of scrappy goals but as a Phillies fan I'll definitely take it I'll take the 2-1 win and uh yeah Philly will move on to San Jose at home as for Montreal let me just see who they're playing yeah Montreal will be at New York City FC so stiffer competition than a union probably uh at this point in the season but 
Speaking of uh, NYCFC, we'll move on to that game as they played the Whitecaps. I say they're going to be stiffer competition. I don't know that for sure because they haven't won a game so far in the first two, albeit both on the road, and I get that. Um, they lost 1-0 to the Galaxy in LA, and then they went up to Canada, to Vancouver, and drew 0-0. In both games, I thought they looked good. Um, in this game, I, th I thought particularly that they were pretty dominant. Um, but they haven't been able to find a goal, and that's slightly concerning because that's two that's two games now where you have your star-studded attack, uh, Tati Castellanos, Tyus Magno, I think has looked extremely, extremely good to start the season. He looks ridiculously bright, especially for a kid of his age. Um, I think that they should be producing more than they are, and I'm not going to start making you know broad judgments about NYCFC yet. I don't think it's time for that. I think two games is certainly not a large enough sample size. I think uh, data people will tell you that two games certainly, certainly, certainly not the sample size that you need to tell you that a team is either good or bad or there's something's off. But they're not really creating a ton of ton, like a ton of great looks in the run of play for Tati. Now they are getting some and they're just going to have to start putting those away and being a little bit more clinical because they. I don't think Vancouver was ever getting a goal in this game. It was mostly NYCFC from the jump, uh, threatening early. Um, I said they. Sh uh, I wrote in my notes that NYCFC should have had a goal by 15 minutes. Uh, again, just not being clinical enough. But I think for a team of their uh, quality, it they're not getting a ton of looks in front of net. It's more off corners and such, which again. Also, you got to take care of, don't get me wrong. But, you know, um, nothing super, super threatening from NYCFC and slightly concerning, especially since this is the second game in a row. Defensively, they look solid. Um, with the, such a good defense, Amundsen, Kayan, Chano, Tavon Gray, just uh, nothing against their defense because last, uh, last week, a little unlucky um, having that late goal scored against them. This week, rock solid didn't allow much of anything for the caps um so definitely not what they want offensively two weeks in a row but defensively i mean as solid as ever and for the caps i mean you got to take this game i mean like this is this is everything you could have won out of this game you're not going to normally get um results out of nycfc home or away so to get the no no result is everything you could have wanted a much deserved point um from their perspective like i don't think you know you're you're not gonna distinguish between a point that and you look good and a point and you look bad a point's a point against a team like nycfc and uh fair play to the caps um they were able to pull it out and i don't think that if you watched the first 15 minutes of that game you would you would have been able to say yes 100 percent caps are getting a point but they did and They'll move on to next week, uh, having lost the first game 4-0, and then being able to draw NYCFC. Hopefully they start building in the right direction. As for NYCFC, like I said, they'll take on Montreal at home. And really, if they don't take three points next week, I think we can start to get a little bit concerned. But um, if I were, I'm not a betting man, but if I were to predict uh, the game next week, I would say NYCFC should be able to take three. But uh, yeah, that's basically all I had on that game. Um, I'll move on to Sporting KC in Houston. This was a 
with a one nil win for Sporting KC, and uh, yeah, it it was not a one nil win in terms of game flow. Basically, all uh, Sporting. Um, I don't think that I'm not gonna say that Houston um, didn't necessarily like deserve the result because I think the result was deserved. But I think for Houston, they they're a little lucky that they didn't let in a few more because Casey had most of the ball. Um, Houston couldn't create anything, sustain an attack. Lots of good Casey, K, uh, sporting Casey attacks. Ending in the 18, ending in looks in the 18 that they just, it, the timing is just a little bit wrong. But they get the, uh, the goal, ball bounced out. Uh, Remy Walter, good finish, uh, bottom corner. And it was all sporting KC before the goal. Houston started building the game maybe a little bit after the goal. But again, you're talking about a team in sporting KC that's going to make the playoffs and a team in Houston that is most certainly not going to make the playoffs. Um, come back to this if they do, but I just don't think that they have a strong enough team. They need midfield support, Houston does. And part of the reason why they signed Ache Ache, Hector Herrera, is to get that midfield support. Now, I don't think that... <clears throat> I don't think... Achiach is going to be able to have enough time to change things around, and he's just one player. But I think Houston have the makings to potentially get some results if they get that kind of, you know, playmaker in the midfield because they're just not creating anything from their possessions sustained. Um, they haven't gotten a goal so far, which is like okay, but you're at home uh, in the first game versus RSL. They couldn't get a goal. Now you can't get a goal, albeit at Sporting KC, but you're not really producing much in terms of looks. It's just not a great sign moving forward for uh, Houston. But for Sporting KC, it's a good rebound from last week against Atlanta. Uh, defense looked much uh, more solid. Part of that comes because you have a lot more possession. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is kind of what Sporting KC needed to do uh, after you know that kind of disappointing loss last week. You come in and you basically control the game versus a albeit worse side but you control the game for a solid 60 minutes 70 minutes um you get the goal and you take three points um so you know casey will start the season uh one win one loss and on track i think still to make the playoffs maybe even maybe at a lower seed but they should make the playoffs as for houston um we'll, we'll see what Herrera can provide, but I think that uh, this is the start of a season that has the makings to, again, um, not end in a playoff spot for Houston. But um, I think I'm going to move on to... Uh... I'm sorry. So last week, I kind of crapped on the Quakes. I don't think it was undeserved. I don't. Um, and when the crew went up 3-1 after 70-something minutes in this game, I'm like, okay, here we go. Uh, you know, uh, prediction, certainly not wrong. Defense of the Quakes, not great. Not terrible, but not great. And they're going to start the season with zero points, one of the worst teams in the West. And then they somehow come back and get a 3-3 tie with Francisco Calvo getting two-headed goals. Um... Uh, one in the like 84th minute or so, and then like one in like the 95th minute. <laughs> this is like not the way that I would have anticipated them getting three goals. I don't think it's out of the question that um, the Earthquakes could have managed three at some point in the season with their attack, 
Montero, Chofis, Abobasi is a great front three. Don't get me wrong. But Francisco Calvo with two headed goals is just like, that's pure MLS fan fiction. And I'm here for it. So sorry for misleading you guys last week, but it was a solid team effort. Um, pulling it out there at the end. Now I'm not gonna sit. I'm not gonna sit here and say that they uh, necessarily deserved it. I don't think that they were the better team through the 90. Um, I they fall apart defensively, uh, allowing the two goals um, in quick succession. Uh, one to Giassi, by the way. Um, fair play to Giassi getting himself a goal. And then uh, the beautiful free kick from Zellerion. But then they still get the tie. Um, I think the question is really on the Quakes, or not the Quakes, but rather the crew uh, D heading down the stretch. I don't think that, um, regardless of the fact that it was off two set pieces, and set pieces are kind of its own game, you still can't allow the Quakes to come back like that. Like, I don't know what the midfield was doing, because... It was, after that third goal, it was all San Jose. There wasn't a ton of crew stuff after that third goal to really put the game to bed. So, the crew, uh, the crew win 4-0 last week. That should have been all the confidence to just be, let's kill the game. We got the goals back. We're up 3-1. But then they're not able to handle a 3-1 lead. Slightly concerning, to say the least. But, I guess all fairness to the Quakes, proved me wrong, got themselves... Uh, I guess a deserve point at home. It's just one of the weirder games I've seen in a long time because every the narrative was written for itself. The the crew are back. They're scoring goals. They're playing well. The Quakes D is not great. To say, like not great would be uh, flattering them, I think. And yet, then they come back and tie the game. I don't even know. So I guess sorry for what I said last week, Quakes fans. If there are any of you who listen to this, which I doubt, but sorry. Um, deserved point i guess good for you and uh yeah um a 3-3 game certainly the wildest game of the weekend in my opinion uh as i guess the quakes will move on to bigger and better things i bigger and better losses probably i don't know we'll see and um for the crew i mean this would have been a magical start to a season after uh last campaign not turning out anything the way that you wanted or anything the way that crew fans wanted because of injuries and just a whole bunch of stuff. But, um, you know, still got four points from the first two games. They would have liked more, but I guess uh, I, I still think that the crew are a playoff team, and I certainly still think that uh, San Jose are not. Um, I'll move on to Minnesota and Nashville, the first of two weather delays of Saturday. Um, I think my – so my I'm just going to start by saying Anibal Godoy – is a monster like that's the first note i made about this game is that he is just a wrecking ball in the midfield so much fun he he uh he has really the pass that started the build up to nashville's uh goal early in the game a beautiful team goal by the way a uh, godoy a uh, excellent switch ball then a ball played from like 40 yards uh to the end line just um touched back to the middle and then finished off uh just a beautiful team goal, but um, this was an interesting game because Minnesota last week, I kind of set my expectations on, you know, maybe when Will Trap comes in, maybe they'll look a little more solid in midfield, but I thought they were going to be, you know, we're going to hit teams on the counter and we're going to bunker in and we're going to try and just 
salvage whatever we can get. But um, they were better at creating sustained attacks in this game. I again, I don't know if it's because of trap. I don't know if you know it just being at home. But they were certainly not ceding as much possession to the um, opposing side as they were to the Union, which is only good things for uh, Minnesota because that's not a consistent way to win. This was, and they didn't win. They drew 1-1, but against a Nashville side who look extremely, extremely good, who I can definitely challenge not only for the best team in the West, for the supporter shield. Um and judging off of how Seattle's looked the first couple games, I don't think a team in the East really, there's not a team I'm looking at that really has a, a strong case of challenge. I think that this is Nashville's supporter shield to lose at this point. Only two games in the season, I know. And yet Minnesota played them extremely well after that Nashville goal. I thought Minnesota had a bunch of good looks. Um, and Maria started to get good uh, chances, who's a uh, Minnesota striker. He didn't finish. Um, again, two-game sample size, no goals. So uh, we'll see where um, we'll see if he can uh, start to get himself on the uh, on the score sheet, uh, especially after not um, contributing last season. I think because of injury. Uh, but I think he'll start to find his form as he should um, with all those attacking pieces that. Uh, Minnesota have up top and the chances that will be created for him it'll be hard for him not to start to get goals but Nashville's D man it looked a little shaky around the box and you know Walker Zimmerman's my guy I love him um especially with the national team he's just a rock back there and yet I the Nashville D just did not inspire any kind of confidence when the ball was in and around the box um we'll see where that that where they were able to go from that because I thought they were very good versus Seattle in the first week. So, probably nothing to write home about. But, you know, we'll see where that goes. Um, I think Nashville still seems like a really good team. Even though they were, they drew um, in Minnesota in conditions, particularly after the weather delay. Sean Davis, for them, looks like stuff... Like I think I just wrote that uh, Sean Davis seems to make stuff flow better. That's kind of what it is for Nashville. Last season, they were extremely good defensively scored some goals but they weren't crazy um in producing you know looks up top it was basically Hani Mutar doing whatever he could sometimes scoring often assisting CJ Sapong but it was basically just those two up top kind of being the attack and in natural I think uh broke the record for the most draws in a season uh 18 draws I think they had which is crazy um but this season, it just looks so much nicer. The goals look just so much like more visually appealing. And I, I got to assume it's Davis because just the way it flows in the midfield between Davis and Godoy it, and Dax McCarty, uh, I think, played this game too. It just looks so much better. And I... It's going to be a lot of fun, I think, to watch Nashville this season. Whereas last season, it really wasn't. Um, but yeah, with that midfield, I think they can beat anybody in the league. Mukhtar is still cooking up top. He hasn't gotten himself a goal this season yet, I don't think. Uh, yeah, he doesn't, yeah, he hasn't gotten himself a goal, but he's still such an exciting player to watch. If you watch the first two games like I have, uh, for Nashville, still a really, really dynamic player who's going to produce a lot, a lot of goal contributions this year. Um, 
for the loons, uh, which is Minnesota's um, mascot, by the way, they're uh, the loons, or that's kind of like their nickname. Their outside backs uh, from last year, Ga- uh, Chase Gasper and uh, Mettenier, they're still out. What they can get with them back, we'll see. But I thought that um, Minnesota's outside backs uh, through the first two games haven't been bad. So I don't think that that's going to be a massive um, – that's not going to be a fix-all for them. But I think having those two back in will provide uh, you know, probably more sustained um, attacks because both uh, – we're getting up the flanks last season and delivering good service. So if those two get back in, um, maybe just a little bit better. Uh, I think we can expect a little bit better performances from Minnesota. But lots of good chances. Um, two really quality teams uh, producing a, a very, very fun 1-1 draw um, in Minnesota in weather conditions after the weather delay uh, um, up there. Uh, I'll hit a couple games real quick and we'll get to our interview. Um, Fire versus Orlando in Chicago. I thought complete, complete change from what I was expecting. I was expecting this to be all Orlando. Uh, last week looked very good in attack, even bringing in Facundo Torres, um, just as another piece that can, uh, you know, really spur that attack on that already looks, uh, it was already good before, albeit, you know, losing DK. But bringing in Torres, it just looked uh, really, really good, really, really effective last week. And this was all Chicago. Like, Chicago dominated this game. They were much more threatening. They were trying stuff, which they weren't really last week, um, versus Miami. They were fine last week, but they weren't really trying stuff. They were putting balls through the channels, getting to the end line, looking uh, to put balls back into the box. Um, They looked dominant. And... I think just the real question is what changed from last week? Why couldn't Chicago have done this against a inner Miami side who I think most people would agree is worse than the Orlando side that they went out and dominated at Soldier Field on Saturday? I don't know what changed. Um, Orlando's midfield seemed to be non-existent. Um, Chicago were getting to the back line with ease, which is never a good sign, but particularly last week after I thought that uh, Orlando's uh, midfield possessed pretty well were able to handle most Montreal um, attacks and it just wasn't that way in this game uh, I thought Shakiri again not not producing goals so far this season um, but I think he still looks good uh, kind of sitting in the hole behind the striker Shabilko definitely facilitating not a winger um, definitely as a number 10 uh, but you know I, I thought he um I think Shakiri's going to produce stuff for the team. Um, I think Orlando looked a little better at the start of the second half. We're completely non-existent in the first half. But I just respect that Chicago isn't a hit-and-hope team that they're actually going to try and play, which not only is good for them as a team, I think definitely um, it definitely kind of helps the narrative uh, or helps kind of break the narrative that the MLS is not a kick-and-run league, that it's not a you know, amateur league in terms of its playing style that even the lower uh, teams are willing to play, um, you know, good soccer, are willing to pass the ball around, look for, you know, good cutting balls and, you know, actually try and produce from possession instead of just, you know, booting the ball long and hoping that something comes as a result of it. So I thought Chicago has a lot to build on from this game. I think for Orlando... 
they need to solve a lot of things and yet both pick up a point um so for chicago that's two points through two games for orlando that's four points through two games i think orlando again is a playoff team i think chicago is not but fair play to chicago they were able to um dominate this game in a way that i didn't think possible before the game um so that's basically it for that game um any other stuff i want to touch on before i get to kind of uh the marquee game uh which was charlotte and the galaxy i'll hit on uh, rapids and atlanta real quick um i thought that atlanta controlled this game i thought they were pretty dominant i thought that they possessed the ball a lot better than the rapids and yet the rapids just completely dominated um when they were able to get the ball in and around the box they they won three nil not because they had a lot more possession not because they were probably the better of the two sides from the run of play but because when they were able to get chances the few chances that they got they were remarkably efficient with them um getting three goals jonathan lewis getting a goal um maybe former national team player at this point but i think drake's gonna probably still look to see what he's gotten him because uh, he's still so young um which i think will anger many but that's uh just my objective uh view of it i don't think that lewis is the best option that we have but he got a goal um barrios looks very good um up top uh i think rubio looks extremely good for them um and completely uh, uh, against the run of play, all three goals, I would say, for Colorado. Um, but with Atlanta, it's a little, this was a little concerning. They scored three in the first game, so long term, I'm not worried about it. But they didn't create a single dangerous thing um, in all of the 90 minutes with so much of the ball. Uh, so I, it's slightly concerning, but I think that they should be fine moving forward. Um, I think Joseph had a few bad touches in around the 18 that he's going to regret, uh, Joseph Martinez. But I think he'll come back from that fine. Rapids didn't look convincing in the attack early. They weren't really combining, but they were able to get the goals. And um, after uh, Colorado's first goal, Colorado Colorado looked a little bit better. Um, like Atlanta had complete control over the game with possession through the first like 30 minutes or so. Um, but after the goal, I thought Colorado started to maybe try and play a bit. I think over the course of the 90, Atlanta still dominated the game a little bit more, but Colorado was able to get their goals. Um, and if they're able to play like that, that might be a little bit more sustainable because defensively they were solid in the midfield. They were good. And up top, they were, uh, completely ruthless and that's more sustainable than I think what they were, what we had seen kind of in CCL before the season started of the Rapids are going to get a lot of the ball. They're going to uh, look completely more dangerous out of the two teams. That was against a Guatemalan team in Comunicaciones that not as strong as the average MLS opposition. And they were able to win uh, that, uh, that two-legged tie just by bunkering um, the Colorado attack when that tie got back to Colorado. In, in this one, and um, this game particularly versus Atlanta, and the season as a whole, I don't think the Rapids are going to be able to control the ball as much, but if they're able to be as ruthless in attack as they were in this game, I think that could lead to good stuff, and I still think that both these sides will make the playoffs when it's all said and done, 
the Rapids don't inspire confidence and versus better sides and better, especially better defensive sides, this result might not have looked the same, but you know, albeit uh, you're, you're going to take three nil any day. And um, for Atlanta, you know, defensively could be an issue, but I don't think that's worth touching on right now just because the first game, they only let up one goal to a good sporting KC side. So definitely contradicting results from Atlanta um, as we uh, hit the first two games of the season, but we'll see where they go um, from this point moving forward. Uh, with Austin and Miami, um, bro, like I was talking with Chris Bills last week, that front four, it's really a front four of Austin. It's just so, so good. Um, getting five goals back-to-back weeks, I mean, and deserved five goals too. They just look so scary when uh, they get the ball in around the 18. Uh, as for Miami, Nothing really good to speak of. Kind of a hit-and-hope team. Um, Higuain wasn't really able to get anything up top. Um, Miami were the be- uh, were the looked better after Austin's third goal, but at that point, it's 3-0, and you have a very, very, very steep hill to climb um, from that point moving forward. Um, for Austin, they haven't dominated either game that they played in, uh, either of the first two games. But they've scored five goals in each. Remarkably, remarkably efficient up top. And I, do, I don't know if I can say that Austin's going to be a playoff team still because I still didn't rate them that high um, going into the season. But as they start, as they continue to score goals, albeit again through the first two games, they they look like a a lot to handle for defenses. So um, with Austin. Uh, they're going to be appointment viewing as we move forward just because of how good that uh, front four is. Um, particularly, Rudy and Drusy played extremely well this game. Uh, Drusy uh, specifically um, got himself two goals um, and fair play to him uh, as he. They all kind of rebound from uh, lower than average uh, 2021 campaigns. Uh, this season already looks a lot, lot brighter for a team that. Again, two games, but you know, if this if they continued at this pace, they would be scoring 170 goals uh, over the course of the season. So I don't know. Just for Austin fans, it's a little uh, fun st- uh, fun stat knowledge for you. Uh, 170 goals is the average at this point. Um, but yeah, uh, really, really solid from Austin and from Miami. Yikes. Um, defensively, it was better last week versus Chicago, obviously, but against a really solid attack. They look extremely vulnerable, so definitely uh, some gaps need to be plugged in that Miami defense. Uh, and so I guess I'll move on to uh, the second-to-last game I want to get into uh, before I kind of go deeper on the Rapids and the Galaxy um, at our interview at the end of the show. But I'll hit RSL in Seattle real quick before I head back to uh, Charlotte and the Galaxy in that rocking atmosphere in Charlotte. Um, this was the second of the two uh, weather delay games of the weekend. RSL um, looked so, so much better than last week. They were willing to attack, which was not the case in Houston last week. Uh, more Seattle, I'd say, in terms of possession, in terms of looks through the first 30 minutes. Not a ton of good chances, though, for Seattle. Um, not a ton for RSL. When RSL get in around the box, they look threatening, and because they were trying a little bit more in attack, because uh, 
they decided that they were going to come out and try and get a bit more of the ball, they looked way, way more dangerous than last week. This Seattle team was remarkably different. Jordan Morris sat. Raul Ruiz Diaz, I think he still has a knock, but he sat. Um, a lot of the defense uh, sat, um, I think, to prepare themselves for CONCACAF Champions League coming up in the midweek. But I think Ian um, on Twitter, I think his handle is like at, so it's, it's at like a good handle for Ian or something like that. Um, he, he pointed out, and I think it's a, a great take, that if they produce in CCL, whatever. But if they come out the first two games of the season and lose to Nashville and lose to RSL, there are going to be questions asked. Again, they're not able to produce in CCL. I think that they will be able to. I think that they got a remarkably solid squad. But I think resting those players doesn't make a ton of sense against an RSL team who aren't going to batter you around, aren't going to you know produce so much that you're just going to be on your heels the entire game. Like They could have fielded a side that would have fared better in this game, and they chose not to, which is a little disconcerting for me. But... I think if they're able to, uh, you know, reconcile that, I guess, with a win in the midweek, um, I guess, problem solved. But, uh, yeah, I thought Seattle um, looked good towards the end of the game um, after RSL got the goal uh, right after halftime. Um, it was a little back and forth, uh, but by the end of the half, Seattle was kind of looking for that goal, but just never really got it. And... Um, good stuff from RSL. Uh, I was not high on them after their first game, but this was a much better performance, and if they're able to play more like this, where they're going to actually try and keep some possession, where they're, they're going to try to involve that front three a little bit more. Um, that front three, and I mentioned it last week, can be dangerous. Uh, with Bobby Wood spearheading that attack, he got the goal in this one, but they need to actually want to get him the ball, um, as opposed to last week, where they were content just trying to hit it on the counter, and it didn't happen. But good from RSL as they take the 1-0 win. And for Seattle, again, slightly concerning that you haven't really produced a ton of good looks offensively through your first two games of the season. But I think this next game will really be uh, a, a good inflection point at the beginning of the season for them to say, are we succeeding in our goals? Are we going to try and win in CCL and win in MLS? Or will they start without taking a win in their first three games um, of the MLS season, that can be, that that will be a lot, a lot more concerning than I think where we sit right now, where this could be a two-game fluke. When you start to pile bad results on top of each other, that's where it gets very, very, very concerning for uh, Seattle fans. But um, I'll kind of move to the, the last game that I want to touch on before we hit our interview, uh, Charlotte and the Galaxy. Um, first of all, Good for Charlotte, man. Uh, for so many in that city, they've waited a long time to get a team in top flight professional soccer. Um, they've had professional teams, but none, obviously, in MLS before now. And I think the tally was 74,449 uh, people filed into that stadium, which is more than a lot of Panthers games. Um, the uh, Carolina Panthers play in that same stadium. So, good for Charlotte, good for the Charlotte FC fans. Uh, they might not have a team that's going to make the playoffs. They might not have a team 
that's one of the top sides in MLS, but the passion from the supporters is undeniable and completely completely just fair play to them as they embark on what should be uh, and what looks like uh, by some, seeing some of the pictures of their supporters section. It's going to be a remarkably fun ride this season um, as they kick off their inaugural campaign in MLS. The Galaxy were pretty dominant in this game. Um, kind of spoiled the party a little bit, which was not surprising uh, from what they sh- showed last week versus NYCFC. They're a side that's capable of controlling games, um, winning the moments at least versus NY- NYCFC. They were able to take their moment at the end of the game. They weren't really able to connect on what should have been goals. I think Chicharito definitely should have had at least one, maybe two goals. Um, he looks a little bit on a different page than the other attackers. I'm sure that's going to rectify itself as they get um, you know, further into the season. But him and Cabral uh, particularly just look on slightly different wavelengths at times. But I, I think that they'll be fine. Chicharito's a quality player. Cabral's still a great young talent. Um and still early in his MLS career, I think he'll he'll come around. Uh, Charlotte weren't really able to connect in the final third. Um, not surprising. Galaxy, again, very good team. But they weren't really able to connect passes. When they moved from a 5-back to a 4-4-2, Charlotte did around like 30th minute or so, midway through the first half. They looked much better. They looked like they were able to create a little bit more. And Charlotte's keeper, by the way... Uh, Excellent, excellent display. A couple big-time saves. Uh, and I think just complete props to him. He kept them in the, uh, in this game early when they weren't producing a lot. Um, I made a note that there could have been goals, multiple goals, I think, for both teams. LA should have uh, had a few. Charlotte could have had a few. Um, I think when Charlotte uh, were starting to build in the attack and the crowd got behind them, you saw that confidence. Um and that's going to be crucial because I don't think that they've got a, su- a, a ton of quality in that attack. Uh, like a super, super dangerous attack. But I think they will be able to find goals. Their DP um, started for the first time, Karol Swiderski, uh, I believe from Poland. Uh, he looked fine. Um, didn't get a ton of service. So didn't get a ton of chances to prove himself. Um, but I think he'll, he'll come around. I think uh, he's shown that he can be a quality player elsewhere in the world. Um, and I think he'll bring that to MLS. When Ben Bender came on, uh, the uh, first overall pick in the Super Draft, he looked very bright. I think we should see him starting sometime in the future because when he came on, and he did this last game too, uh, he just looked like a breath of fresh air in the midfield, uh, very dynamic, connecting passes. Going forward, he looked like a, a lot to handle, albeit from, again, tired galaxy legs in the midfield but yeah he looks he looks like a lot to handle for defenses looks like a lot of fun um so for uh charlotte it again still no points the first two games but i don't think it's the end of the world for them as an expansion side i didn't expect much different uh and from la solid performance efra alvarez with just an absolute cracker of a goal fair fair play to him i mean what a hit but for them, they'll take six points to their first two matches. They're going to make the playoffs. And I don't want to be that guy that's like that the hot take machine. But the Galaxy are back after a couple years of not really hitting their stride in the way that we all know the Galaxy can and should. 
the galaxy are back and it looks pretty 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 nice um when they're just flowing and especially when chicharito is getting involved it just looks a lot of fun but it looks like a lot a lot of fun in the stadium too because even though charlotte uh, weren't able to get the win the supporters were there to, were there to the end and were you know clapping up the players after the game it, it looked like a true true soccer fan base where they're willing to support their team to the end and I don't expect it to be 74,000 or 75,000 moving forward, but it looks like a, a fan base that's devoted to their team and the team play with a passion that you would expect them to, but you just never know what you're going to get. And what they were able to play with was it looked like they were playing for the city. And it, it just was really, really nice to see um, kind of how soccer's developed in the U.S. to a point where you can start a new team and in their first game they're going to pack 75k into a football stadium uh just looked like a lot of fun it was bouncing and hopefully we can get more atmospheres like that moving forward from charlotte because if we are it's going to make watching their games a lot a lot of fun even if the team on the field might not be producing the results that are expected so i think that's most of what i want to cover and so we're going to dive into our interview um cover some of the rapids and the galaxy a little bit more in depth with Matt Pollard. So I'll send it over to that interview right now. Okay, guys. Uh, so we're here with Matt Pollard, who uh, covers the Rapids and the Galaxy. And I wanted to have him on to get a little uh, a little better look at uh, the two teams' starts of the season. Um, I think that uh, they're two of the more interesting teams to cover uh, in MLS. And so I'm delighted to have Matt on. Uh, Matt, how's it going? Oh, thank you for having me. No, it's uh, it's all good. Uh, we got snow again here in Denver, so the prospect of another snow classico is still looming, though it might be up into the 60s on Saturday for the game against Sporting Kansas City, so I might not need gloves for the first Rapids home game in probably six or seven months. Yeah, that's... Um, that's I guess it's a good thing. Though I, I think, to be fair, I think when people watch Colorado you love to see that snow, like just like that. It, it definitely does throw back to um, the snow classico days. And uh, even this weekend, it uh, was the last weekend. It was coming down pretty hard. Um, uh, it would have been, so it would have been two weeks ago, game, right? two weeks ago, Wednesday. Yeah. 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 That would have been what it, yeah. It's, it's, it's a cool thing to watch on TV while you're inside <laughs> and you have a blanket and then a warm drink in your hand. Uh, it's a fun experience to look back on. It is miserable and like mind-numbing in the <laughs> in the moment and everything. Um, it got down into negative seven, and we were talking in the press box about places or just situations we've been in where we've been less cold. And I skied uh, Crested Butte, which is a ski mountain here in Colorado. It was towards the middle of the state, uh, and this would have been New Year's Eve, so 2018 going into 2019, if memory serves correctly, and it got down to negative 20. I was all bundled up, appropriately dressed and everything, so my body was doing fine, and I was talking to my friend, and the joke that we have about that is I sounded like I was hammered. That is like how frozen my face was and then how like my muscles were not able to work and so those were similar feelings so working one of those games is terrible uh the adrenaline of it is the only thing that can kind of get you through and then you're ready to go home and you just hope that it's an exciting game to write about as uh colorado versus communicaciones was albeit disappointing <laughs> yeah that's certainly the experience that you get 
living in Colorado that I'm, I live in Pennsylvania. I could never uh, get something like that, not at a soccer match. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, I want to experience the game out there sometime because it feels like a lot of fun. But I'll, I guess since we started off in that, uh, the Colorado climate note, I'll, I'll hit on the Rapids first. Um, I was saying to you before this interview started that I think the word to describe the Rapids uh, starts of the season is nuanced. They start uh, with in a two-legged tie, losing to what I think is an inferior Comunicaciones side, who fair play to them. They were able to um, scrap it out at home and then come uh, to Colorado and then take the uh, game, uh, take the tie and penalties. Um, but and then Colorado come out and they lose three nil to LAFC, which I think for me as a neutral, I'm starting to get worried because here's the side that. Uh, were the top uh, in the West last season, you know, surprised some people, but had a very solid uh, way of playing. They were able to get goals um, however they came. And they start with absolutely abysmal um, beginning of the season. And then they come out and they beat, uh, I think, a relatively good Atlanta side 3-0. Like, I don't know how that happened, but where did that kind of come from, you know, looking at it from your better view than I have? Uh, yeah, so I guess if we're talking about this in the context of the difference between the performances and the results, I think it was a response to what they had obviously gone through. I think that Rapids team went all in in terms of their energy and in terms of playing their big players in uh, against Comunicaciones. And whether it was emotionally, whether it was, you know, Jack Price and everybody trying to de-thaw in the hot Southern California sun and everything, I, I'm not at all surprised by that result. The Rapids never won at Bank of California Stadium. They've rarely played well they usually start poorly and then you combine that with kind of the double revenge factor of it being LAFC LAFC the team that the Rapids played decision day last year the Rapids beat LAFC to eliminate them from playoff contention that was a must win for then Bob Bradley's side in order to just have a chance at the playoffs and they needed help elsewhere and then you combine the fact that Kellen Acosta who was traded wasn't particularly happy about it playing against his former team he creates the penalty on the handball from Lalo Sabubakar I think 23 25 minutes in it might have been you know and then it's like Carlos Vela puts in it's like okay there's only one way this game is going and I think it's worth pointing out the fact that all four teams that were in Champions League in MLS lost that weekend including as we'll get to in a couple minutes NYCFC losing 1-0 to the LA Galaxy so I think you know you're you use the term uh nuance I would say numbers never lie but definitely they don't always tell the full story and context matters and so you combine that with the fact that they go back at altitude. They're playing Atlanta United, who hasn't played an MLS game at altitude since 2019 in May against uh, LA, LAFC, against um, Real Salt Lake. So, uh, you know, they're in a, an unfamiliar environment. You add in a few injuries for them, a few yeah. visa issues. And the fact that Carlos Vela, who played centrally in a 4-3-3 for LAFC, played somewhat similarly to how Joseph Martinez likes to play. It's almost like the... You know, here's you know, uh, you know, here's your test, your first test on one, and then you get to retake it, or you get a second try at it. And so, what they were doing defensively was they were trying to do the same thing. They just had two weeks in order to get it better.
better. You combine with a little bit of better finishing, maybe Diego Rubio, who's checked his Twitter mentions uh, in an unhealthy way the last two weeks or so. And I, I was looking at it, I was thought, okay, if this is a team that's a playoff team, it should be a much better performance. It should be 90 minutes. They should absolutely go out and try to hunt Atlanta. They should punk them at times and score multiple goals. They did all of that. Uh, are the Rapids as good as they were against Atlanta? No. Are they as bad as they were against LAFC or Communicaciones? No. If they're somewhere in the middle, you're probably a playoff team. And, and that's what I've kind of been saying in, through the first two weeks, albeit. And that's kind of the caveat is that we're through two weeks of the season. So you, there's not too much. Like the sample size is certainly not large enough to make big sweeping conclusions about any team. But w- with that LAFC game, it, they just never looked up for it. And a lot of that could be, like you said, the letdown from the midweek. But, you know, after Carlos gets that first goal from the uh, penalty spot, it, it only looked like it was going to go one way. And for this game, this was a – Atlanta came out. They controlled the ball, I thought, particularly um, in the back and through the midfield. They wanted to keep possession. But Colorado was just deadly when they got the ball in and around the box. And Rubio gets his goal. Jonathan Lewis, who I want to go a little bit uh, deeper into um, in just a minute, he got his goal. And they're able to get out of um, the the game with a 3-0 win that I don't think was completely deserved, at least by, like, possession and how much they controlled the game. Agreed. Do you think that moving forward they're going to look for a little bit more control? Or do you think this is kind of how they're going to play? Like, just kind of hitting in the moments that they can? Um, I think it's going to be a mix of those. This is a team that when it suits them, I think they're comfortable playing out of the back and a team that also suits them in transition. I think it depends on the opponent. I also think it depends a little bit on the circumstances. I think the problem that you had certainly playing at LAFC is just the, as soon as they get that first goal and when Carlos Vela decides on a particular Saturday afternoon that he's on, that team's running downhill. And this is a Rapids team that can't really chase games, particularly against teams that are good in transition with few numbers. I'd put Portland certainly up there, given what happened in the playoffs last year. Certainly LAFC. I would say, I want to say that Atlanta's probably capable of reaching that by some time in the season. I don't know necessarily that they're there right now, and they certainly weren't there on Saturday. But certainly when the... You know, I think game state really matters for this team. And when it's level and they're able to just play the base way that they had to plan it out, they're able to be extremely effective. And I think the when the goals, both the scoreline and when those goals were scored, I think certainly fed into um, they catalyzed that, if that makes sense. It made it um, it made it more downhill for the Rapids. It just made things more difficult for Atlanta, where they had to further commit to a game plan that was ultimately putting themselves in a position to being taken advantage. uh, This is a team that has a number of fast attacking players in transition. Jonathan Lewis, who obviously was, you know, very Johnny on the spot uh, with that goal, uh, with that second goal and Lucas Estevez as well. So, but I think, um, fluidity and um, this team being multifaceted is a key component to the Colorado Rapids. There are multiple ways that they can win and multiple ways that they need to play, that they'll need to play at times in order to win. I wouldn't say that Robin Frazier's married to one or the other. Um, They want to be good at both of them. And depending on the day, they want to be great at one and just good enough at the other. I think that's a great point you made about game states and about how they're going to they're gonna be willing to play different ways versus different teams. Like in that Portland playoff game, they had the ball. They could have created chances, and it just didn't happen. And in this game, 
they were willing to cede possession to Atlanta for large stretches of that game, particularly um, in defense. Like they weren't gonna, they weren't pressing the heck out of Atlanta the way that some teams would, and mm-hmm. yet they were able to get the three goals. Um, I want to hit quick on Lewis because I'm a big USMNT fan, as most soccer fans in this country um, uh, seem to follow uh, the winger battle. You know what I mean? Um, Lewis kind of poked his head in there a little bit um, over last spring and a little bit over the summer, but it, it just hasn't worked out for him. He just doesn't seem to be quite clinical enough, at least with the national team. And that I know has carried over at times in club. I think uh, the broadcast team was making a point that when he just seems to not think about it, he's able to produce so much more on the attack in like in the attacking end in those um, quick moments where he gets uh, the ball at his feet. Is that kind of how you see Jonathan Lewis's when he doesn't think about it, he's a much better attacker. You know, I don't, I don't know how much of that is necessarily all entirely up here, but you know, I would say certainly when he's just trying to be one of the guys and kind of does his job and plays within himself, I think he's able to certainly, he helps the team as a whole function better and he plays well. I think certainly when he gets um, narrow minded or um, tries to do everything entirely on his own is where he gets in trouble. And we saw that a little bit in the first 20 minutes of that game where it was kind of helter skelter and both teams kind of feeling each other out. I remember one play distinctly. I think there was a turnover at midfield. This would have been in the first half, if I'm remembering correctly. And Lewis, and and they end up, the ball comes through. It gets switched to the other side of the field. Lewis and Lucas Estevez, the outside backer, kind of running for it. Lewis doesn't realize that Estevez is there. And if he doesn't chest this down and leaves it, then Lucas is off to the races. And then he ends up trying to cut inside and, you know, take a 2v1 and then just completely loses the ball. Um, You know, I think Lewis is certainly, um, you know, I think there's been a lot of stick that's been reflected at him because of, I think, the potential that they thought was there, and certainly a little bit the transfer fee that was paid to New York City FC would have been, what, 2019, April, May-ish. Um, you know, I think now they kind of realize that, you know, he's capable of being an effective starter, but he's not necessarily the guy. And when he comes on in a substitute role where he has a chance to take advantage of teams, certainly his speed is very effective. And when he gets out into spaces, he can still be very dangerous. But certainly kind of the, the premise of your question, I think, is that he's been inconsistent or streaky and that maybe there was USMNT and European potential there that hasn't really been achieved. And I would agree with that. Yeah. I, that, that was definitely the premise of my question. I think the sad thing to see is like he, he's one of, and there's only a few players that are like this, I think right now in the USMNT sphere, where it's like the potential is all there. Cause you see in flashes, like he's quick, he's dynamic. He's got the tools but he just, it hasn't seemed to come together at national team level, certainly, and not even really at the club level, which is a little disappointing. But you made the point that he's not the guy. He can be a contributing piece, but he's not the guy. Matt Doyle on Twitter has been very, very loud in saying, Rapids need a striker. They need to sign a striker. They need to sign a striker. He's throwing out Ola Kamara because Kamara's on the trading block and he scored 19 goals last season. I guess two part do you think Kamar could be the like the guy that the Rapids could go after and do you think the Rapids need a striker to begin with or some attacking piece that can give them more than what they've been getting 
this team right now, as constructed, the way they're playing under Robin Frazier is a playoff team. I think their ceiling is probably fourth in the Western Conference. So do they just want to get back to having a home playoff game? But ultimately, when you get to the business end of the season and achieving what they want to do and ultimately what they've come short on the last couple of seasons, it's do actually doing damage in the playoffs. And largely when they've been unsuccessful, it's been because they're lacking that player and because the opponent has that player. Um, you know, certainly, I guess, two years ago now in the playoffs, when you talk about the seasons or the game that uh, Emmanuel Reynoso and Kevin Molino had relative to the Rapids who weren't able to finish in that. So do they need that guy? I think if they want to actually win a playoff game or score multiple goals in the playoffs, absolutely. If they want any chance at competing for or winning MLS Cup, they absolutely need that. If they just want to win a playoff game and then or if they just want to have a home playoff game and have that game be a coin flip coming down to who the opponent is, they're okay right now. In terms of whether or not it could be Ola Kamara, this has been a an ongoing debate within Rapids Twitter. I've been banging the drum for Ola Kamara simply because uh, we know that he wants out. We know that DC is trying to move him. We know that the Rapids, with how much gam they're hoarding from the trade with Kellen Acosta and the few other sales that they've had recently, that they could definitely afford him. You know, I think there's a question of, you know, the, there was there was a little bit of tub thumping about thinking whether or not they should go after Robert Barrick once that kind of fell through with Morning Kansas City. I don't know what the rules are there in terms of Kansas City acquiring his MLS rights and then not signing him. What that would mean? Would they have to get that from Kansas City? What would that price point be? I don't. I'm not entirely sure if the, the MLS rules are complicated and ambiguous in that particular situation. And the other ones that kind of people have been bandied about is whether or not they could have gotten a Dom Dwyer. I would have said no on that. Um, and whether or not Giassi's artist, who has now been on the bench for two straight games in Columbus, whether or not the Rapids could go get him. What would Columbus be wanting for him? Uh, last year at a guaranteed compensation of $1.4 million. Uh, that is $300,000 roughly more than Eunice Nomaly is the only DP for the Colorado Rapids was making last year. So is you know is $1.4 for a domestic striker who's proven who almost won the Golden Boot a couple of years ago, is that too much money for the Rapids? But uh, can Ola, to, I guess to answer your first question of can Ola Kamara solve the problem? Yes, uh, he doesn't stick around in MLS teams for more than two years or anything, but simply a guy that can get who can do the one thing that the Rapids are struggling with right now, where if you get him, you know, he's scoring 10 to 15 goals. I don't know that 12 is more than you can expect from a fully healthy Diego Rubio this year, who you can afford and who's only making 400 K this year is certainly a viable option. That being said, uh, he's kind of a one-dimensional striker and uh, Robin's really particular about culture and maybe given what happened with Kai Kamara in terms of his exit from the club with both sides kind of realizing this was going down a path that was going to be unproductive for both of us. Let's part ways early before an ugly divorce has to set in. Maybe that's something that uh, Robin doesn't want to, you know, disrupt the the good vibes that are going on with DSG. But I, Ola Kamara is the lowest hanging and cheapest fruit to their biggest problem right now. Yeah, so you said um, you could expect potentially a healthy uh, Diego Rubio to get 12 goals. Would you see Ola Kamara fitting in somewhere around that number? Or do you think, like, as a top striker in MLS, he, his upside is so much more than Rubio that even though he will be exponentially more money, it, it's still worth it bringing him in to see what he can do? Yeah, absolutely. I think is I think uh I think a reasonable ceiling for him would be 15 goals and I I wouldn't put 
maybe 20 stretching it a little bit too much. But if you told me that if you told me the Rapids acquired him this week and he was available to start against Kansas City and you told me he was scoring 18 like that in this in this regular season, I would be like, yeah, that's very plausible. OK, and you kind of hit on the ceiling uh, as con- like currently constructed, which is like fourth, you think. Do you just quick before we move on to uh, Galaxy Talk, what do you think their floor is like realistically? Where I think their floor is, I mean, their their floor is definitely they have a couple key injuries. Uh, you know, maybe the wheels fall off defensively with Austin Trusty leaving for Arsenal in July. Like their their floor is definitely outside of the outside of the playoff picture. That's still a very plausible outcome here. Um, I think that um, I don't think that they're done yet in terms of this window, which doesn't end until May fourth. And I think certainly if there are any big issues, maybe DP striker notwithstanding, because I'm still not convinced that's a hole they're going to fill this year or that they that they even have the financial capacity to fill. You know, if suddenly there's a big issue at midfield, I'm sure Pork Smith will be cooking sometime in the summer to try and get something either domestically or through their increased uh, pipeline that they have going down to uh, Brazil and Argentina. So I think that they would I think that they would auto correct if it looked plausible earlier on in the year, like they were going to miss the playoffs. So like I said, I, I still expect this team to make the playoffs. Okay, uh, and so moving from one club without a set striker to one club who their their striker is, I think, a 15-goal lock at least. Uh, Galaxy have looked good, man. The, the first two games, it, I said, and I said on the pod because I, I recorded um, my main section just before I hopped on here with you, I, I don't like to be the guy to be like that hot take guy, but it seems like the Galaxy are back and back in a pretty big way. Again, I know it's only the second game, at least it's only Charlotte. I don't think Charlotte are a playoff team, but the way that they've, you know, created like sustainable attacks in the first two games, it looked like it looks like the Galaxy are here to stay as one of the top teams in the West. Um, I, I'd certainly say they're, I I'd certainly say I expect them to make the playoffs this year. I would agree with you where I think there's an area to pump the brakes on is, you know, they played an NYCFC team that, you know, obviously all four teams that played in CCL the week, the midweek before the start of the season ended up losing. So take that with a grain of salt. And, you know, I think Charlotte, certainly the best thing that they had going for them was the record crowd trying to suck the ball in the back of the net, especially on those last couple chances. But look, most experts have have Charlotte competing for, if not winning, the wooden spoon this year, you know, down in the dumps with possibly Houston, but certainly an FC Cincinnati, maybe a DC United as well. So I think certainly take the strength of schedule into account. Where I think things are different is I think you have another year of Chicharito getting fit and more close, um, more used to the league and everything. I think you have the bitterness of the defeat to Minnesota in the final day of the season last year that's certainly motivating the team. I think Greg vanny has been a little bit more nuanced in terms of the moves that he's made within the league. He's brought in Raheem Edwards, who I thought looked fantastic the other night. Mark Delgado has looked really, really good. And then you also have to account for the fact that the Galaxy added a lot of pieces last year coming from abroad who were younger players like the Grand Sears, the Cabrals, the Revelisons, who were brand new to MLS. And just them being in MLS for another year, they're not only better as players because they're one year older, but also more familiar with the league and how to operate and how to be successful within it. I think the defense is in a position to be a certainly a lot better. I do really like Jonathan Bond. I still have some questions about the center back position. Kuobali can 
get a little lost in terms of his marking sometimes. I think Dupuis has been fantastic. I still think Derek Williams is capable of being their best center back. So, you know, I think the the building box are certainly there, but it definitely has similar to kind of last year's early season and everything where they were kind of just riding off of Chicharito and then, you know, positive vibes, you know, like football is life energy. Um, but I think the building blocks are there in ways that maybe last year was them beating bad teams and the emperor looked cool, but you know, didn't have any clothes. Yeah. I, I think I would contend with what you're saying that it's like last season. And I know that again, we saw last season, how quickly that can go away if Chicharito gets injured, how, how quickly mm-hmm. they can become a mid-table side um, if their their big man goes down. But I think with a player who's really stood out for me this season has been Ravellis, and he just looks comfortable in the midfield. With the addition of Douglas Costa, who I know is a big name, not necessarily uh, producing um, a ton with, uh, I think it was Grêmio before he came to the Galaxy. But I think... Still a player with talent. I think Victor Vasquez um, has looked good. I know we went down with injury. I, we'll see where that goes. But that front four of Chicharito, Costa, uh, Vasquez, and Cabral, I think when they start to come together, and I don't, I don't think we can say that they've come together yet. I think that that can become something that's better than last season. And I think Chicharito has shown, even with the injuries last season, he was still a 15-goal striker. I don't think that those things will get any worse heading into this season. And I think what I've seen from the midfield, particularly Revelison, they look like they're here to stay. And I just, I don't know, like, what do you, what do you think that their ceiling is? Because I think what I'm hearing from you is like more like a mid table playoff team. Yeah, well, I think that's that's where I think they could be. But I think certainly if, you know, and I'll say Douglas Costa for me has looked, uh, he's better than Steven Gerrard, I'll put it that <laughs> way. Like he, he's coming, he's fit, uh, he's motivated, he has good energy on the ball. He's still kind of figuring things out in terms of his personnel and everything. Agreed. But like at least Agreed. it's, you know, I mean, but like, you know, Gonzalo Higuain comes in and he looks like he's out of shape. And then he has that quote being like, yeah, I thought I'd be scoring hat tricks while smoking a cigarette and everything. You know, he's a far cry from that. So at least early returns. Now, I think the question that I have about Douglas Costa more so than I have about Chicharito getting injured is that, okay, this is him coming in with Gremio being already in their season. Uh, when the rest of the team and the rest of the league catch up fitness wise is Costa, you know, is Costa at his max right now, fitness wise, is this something that he can build on? Or is this something that that's what he's going to be? Can he pick it, carry it on for 32 more regular season games? That's not necessarily a question like I'm doubting him, but that's a curiosity. That's a question that I don't know that we have a definitive answer to yet but I think certainly if the defense continues to improve maybe they buy a center back in the summer when the market's uh, in a better situation in terms of buying a player from abroad if a couple of the younger guys do well if Julian Araujo is not sold this summer and everything Chicharito stays healthy and Douglas Costa proves himself this is absolutely a team that can host a home playoff game in the Western Conference I'm not ready to say that their ceiling is above where I think Seattle or uh, Nashville will finish, but I think certainly that's something that they're capable of. You know, if they were to finish fourth in the Western Conference, let's say, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I still think there's a lot of other things that they need to do better. I get, I think getting to kind of the the question where we're on opposite sides in terms of the strength of schedule, uh, this coming Saturday, they're playing the Seattle Sounders. And we kind of saw last year, they got a couple really good results against teams that proved to be really, really bad. And they played Seattle and they lost 4-0 and looked 
never looked really in it. So I think certainly, you know, if, if you tell me right now they win that game 1-0 or they get a draw and look really good against Seattle, um, I'd be happy to come on the, the show again and issue a mea culpa. But I think certainly that's a – this coming Saturday is yeah. going to be a, is gonna be a, um, a benchmark test for them. Yeah, I think – and that's not just L.A. that we can say that strength of schedule has played – a big role in determining the start to the season. Just look at Austin who scored 10 goals. Like that's kind of the one, even though, by the way, I think Austin are trending um, towards a, you know, sneaking into the playoffs. I still think that, you know, strength of schedule for them matters as I think it matters so far for the galaxy. Um, I, I'm interested to hear your take on Kevin Cabral because young player who clearly has talent, but I made notes during uh, the galaxy game that, particularly him and Chicharito, but that entire, like the rest of the front three and Chicharito looked not on the same page at times. Like Chicharito was making a run. Cabral wasn't expecting it, vice versa. So what do you think? Um, how do you see Cabral kind of fitting into the the picture of the season? Um, uh, TBD for me, I think certainly, you know, the reports out of preseason and everything that he had kind of bulked up in the weight room. So there were, there were some issues last year of him not being able to match kind of the physicality of the league, especially in the air. So I think certainly he'll be better on that. But, you know, your point's kind of well taken that, you know, he's kind of, you know, he's a fast guy. He's good on the ball, but he's kind of like a chicken with his with his head cut off where he's just kind of running and doesn't necessarily know what to do. Or maybe his brain is trying to catch up to what his body's trying to do. And I think it's worth pointing out that a lot of the playing time that he got last year was when Chicharito was still dealing with injuries. So maybe not only is there a getting used to the league and then maturing as a player who's still in his early 20s issue, but there might also be a... a um, you know, um, uh, getting on the same page with Chicharito that he didn't have for much of last season. And maybe we could throw, um, maybe we could say the same thing about Crancier as well. So I'm kind of looking for can, whether it's Greg Vanny or somebody else on the team um, or on the coaching staff, kind of help him with the mental processing decision-making aspects of the game to where he's maybe anticipating a little bit more than reacting and kind of relying on his athleticism. But, you know, I think there, I think he got a lot of stick last year. Some of that was fair. Um, you know, I think he puts in a few more of those chances that he has maybe we're not criticizing him the same way maybe if Chicharito doesn't get hurt and he's finishing those chances we're not talking about in the same way but I think he's another um you know I think I feel like Revelison for example like his floor is as good as he was last year and then his ceiling's like way up here um you know whereas I feel like Cabral is definitely a little bit more he could take as much of a step forward from last year to this year as he could a step back. Um, I don't think that he will take a step back, but I mean, if he hits his ceiling, then, um, then, you know, I think that's another, that's another marker for, you know, maybe the galaxy finishing third rather than eighth. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that kind of, uh, the player assessment. Uh, where do you think Efra Alvarez finds his way in all this? Because he had one of the goals of a still young MLS season that I just absolutely smashing that ball. I just pure technique. Um, where, where does he fit into this front four that seems pretty established and yet he, he came on and lit up the show? Yeah, I don't, I, I think he's that, honestly, I think he's another bench guy. I think he's the first attacking substitution off the bench, you know, obviously with his age, I don't know that Douglas Costa is, uh, you know, playing 90 minutes times, what would it be? 32 other, 32 more games left to go. You know, we'll also see, maybe he fills in that Victor Vasquez role on Saturday against Seattle if something's wrong with him. But I think right now, if everybody's healthy and everybody's playing well, 
I think he's the first guy off the bench, and I think he's the first guy to start in one of those central roles if one of them is unable to go. And, we, you know, we've kind of seen he's never really been a regular starter, even going back to his academy days or his time with the, I guess, now defunct Los Ghosts because technically LA Galaxy 2 are in MLS Next Pro as opposed to the USL Championship. But even then, he was still putting up numbers and then progressing as a player as well. So maybe this is, uh, maybe he just doesn't need 90 minutes of actual competitive game time in order to progress and also be a Effective if he's training regularly, but I, I think that's the role that he fits in easiest, whether or not that's something he wants. He hasn't been upset about that yet so far in his career. So, I mean, if he's scoring goals like that and he's happy, then I think it's a role that could certainly work for him and would still help the team. Yeah. Um, a, few, a few quick hitters and we can get out of here. Um, just as your like soccer opinion, I know you don't cover them necessarily, but what have you seen in Charlotte so far? Because, and one of the all-time MLS quotes, the we are screw quote. But I think from what I've seen, even though they've taken zero points from their first two games, I don't think that they're screwed. I think that they've shown that even though they're not going to be a playoff team, they can still produce enough dangerous moments in a game to threaten opponents in a way that FC Cincinnati aren't doing that. Like like the, the floor for them, I don't think is wooden spoon. But I can see a scenario where the floor is wooden spoon. So, you know, what, what's your take on them uh, two games in? I, I mean, they've got some issues out wide. Um, they're certainly lacking quality in the final third. I've actually liked Christian Fuchs. Um, I think he's been a little um, – he, he'd be high on the CONCACAFI scale. He would fit in very, very well, um, you know, with like Leon this coming week in Champions League or Cruz Azul in Champions League, for example. Maybe he'd have to learn a little bit of Spanish first in order to make that happen. Um, I thought Jalen Lindsay was a really unrelated uh, – un, underrated – pickup that they got from Sporting Kansas City. So, I mean, they have some pieces there. They spent a little bit of money. I do think they're going to at least try and, you know, we'll see how many of those people who just bought a single ticket actually come back, you know, for a second game or a third game and everything. You know, I think if you're only getting like, you know, 25 to 30,000, you know, seats sounds great if you have a soccer specific stadium, says the guy who does a podcast and locally covers a team that can barely get 12,000 people in the gate, you know, in a stadium that seats 18,000 people. But if you have less than that, it's kind of sad in this big cavernous NFL stadium and everything. But I mean, if they're putting in numbers that, you know, Seattle or Atlanta would be proud of, they're going to have a home field advantage. That's going to help them in some of those games, you know, like, last Saturday where it could be a coin flip or it kind of depends on one individual moment for them to suck the ball into the net. So, I mean, I, I do think there are some pieces there. I'm again enamored with a foreign coaching staff and front office that comes in and thinks that they can do a better job or that can rely on international guys or do like a piecemeal job in like the first part. And then, Oh, we'll figure something out in the summer and then still like, know that like this can completely blow up and everything. Like, it's just, I don't know how, I don't know if like other expansion teams, like if like you can go around and like talk to other clubs and everything. I know there's a lot of knowledge sharing within like coaches and everything. Like Robin Frazier talks offhand to Bob Bradley and um, uh, Bruce Marina fairly regularly. He talks to Greg Vanny 
almost once a week, for example, of the, you know, like the, with, with the front office of Charlotte, if they call Cincinnati and be like, Hey, could we talk to you about your roster build? And then somebody's like the, Hey, we did a terrible job actually focused on getting guys within the league. We were so stupid. Like, does anybody actually say that? Or do they just come in kind of winging it and then seeing what happens? So um, I still think this is a team that, that this is not a playoff team. I feel very comfortable saying that this is a team that plausibly, but I do not think is the favorite to win the wooden spoon. They have a lot of other work to do but I, I do think they've done some good international and then domestic business um they need a few more wide players um they need to spend money in the summer but um you know it, they're looking closer to austin and cincy in their first year than they certainly way closer to them than they might have lafc or atlanta who made the playoffs in their first seasons yeah i, I agree with that kind of assessment of where they're at i don't think that they're favorites for the wooden spoon i think that's since Cincinnati's got that one on lock right now, I think. But uh, I, I do think that as a team, um, they need to still fill some pieces. Uh, even though I think I can pick out certain guys, like I think T.T. Ortiz um, has looked very, very bright the first two games. When they switched to the 4-4-2 um, at like 30-minute mark or so, I thought that they were pro- they started to produce more going forward, which maybe they can carry that go- uh, like moving in their next couple games, we'll see. But they have bright spots. Um, ben Bender off the bench, I, I mentioned him. Mm-hmm. I, he looked like a breath of fresh air in there and hit his attacking output from the midfield. I, I wouldn't su- be surprised to see him get a start moving forward. But I think those are... The the point is kind of... It's a little moot since they're not going to make the playoffs and I don't think they're going to be particularly close. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I think we did it... Um, we did a kind of a formal one with the Rapids, the ceiling and the floor. What's your ceiling and the floor for the Galaxy? I think their floor is just barely missing the playoffs. So maybe did they finish eighth or ninth last year? I'd have to look it up. But I think certainly, you know, we'll say within five points of missing the playoffs. Um, and I do think their ceiling is certainly hosting a home playoff game. Yeah, that's kind of where I see them too. I see them maybe like a ceiling third behind Seattle and Nashville. And uh, I, I think that they're going to make the playoffs, but if, the floor does fall out. I think that they could uh, land somewhere around the eighth or ninth spot. Um, so as we head out, uh, thanks for this great interview. Really, um, I, I've quite thoroughly enjoyed uh, getting a deeper look at these um, two teams. And where can people find you? Uh, plug all your stuff now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sure. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at LWS Matt Pollard. You can check out all of my written content at lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer. And then if you want to check out my podcast work, um, there's a pod, general MLS podcast I do with the other staff at Last Word called Last Word SC Radio. Just wherever you get your podcast, search LWS Radio or Last Word on Sports. It should be the first thing that pops up. And then if you want rapid specific stuff, it's uh, holding the highlight with rabbi and red um search that into your podcatcher um we're debating whether or not we still want to be on spotify that's something me and my co-host are deciding this week so if you spotify maybe find us somewhere else or see if we're there next week um and then you can follow the podcast on twitter at rapids 96 podcast okay uh it's all great and thank you for your um uh really wonderful input into the rapids and the galaxy uh, as the Rapids and the Galaxy both take um, three points from the weekend. Uh, hope to have you on sometime uh, soon to talk about uh, these two teams again. So thanks, Matt. Thank you very much, Joey. 
massive thanks to Matt for coming on and talking Rapids and Galaxy with us. Uh, he has such a wealth of knowledge on those two clubs that I can never dream of having. So if you want more of that, check him out on all those places that he listed on Twitter on his podcast. Um, those two teams are probably going to be playoff teams this year like we were talking about. And so if you want um, a good deal of knowledge on both those two clubs, again, follow him uh, throughout the season as his information is second to none on those two clubs. Um, and yeah, just big thanks for him uh, for coming on. And thanks to you for listening. Um, that's about going to do it for us on the second episode of the MLS Bench Podcast. Again, like I mentioned in the intro, subscribe, rate, review, download, recommend. All that stuff is just so greatly appreciated. And we're going to continue to keep growing. This is only our second episode. And hopefully it only goes up from here. So uh, yeah, guys, thanks for listening. And Keep it tuned uh, to our Twitter page. We should be back next Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm going away, so I might not have time to record on Tuesday, but should definitely be um, next Wednesday at the latest. So until then, uh, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and we'll see you then. Thanks for listening.